Howdy folks, welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. As always, I'm your host Kirsten Nutz, and in today's episode, we're going to explore photography in the city that I have called my home for over 25 years now, and one of the most photographic cities in the world. London. So buckle up, grab a cold one, and let's shake it up with today's guests right after this. Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 145. And by the way, I have one small favor to ask of you. We've got some incredible, amazing news coming up. So if you enjoy this podcast, please join the Camera Shake community over on camerashakepodcast.com so that you're the first ones to know. You'll find the link in the description, or if you're watching on YouTube, it'll be right down here somewhere on the screen. But without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest, the UK-based photographer, Leica aficionado, film shooter, and one of the top street photographers in London today, Gilbert Mayakadamni. Gilbert, Ben, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It's actually quite incredible how we met. Do you remember how we met? Yes, yes, I remember. I think um, it was somewhere in central London, looking yeah. up the Rolly Flex. Exactly, then, yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's just, boom, magic from there. Exactly. I just bumped into you. Actually, I was in a little sort of street photography outing that, that I'll do once in a while, you know, with uh, with a bunch of people, uh, local photographers from around where I live. And, uh, and I just saw this guy with a Rolly Flex, and I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. And then, <laughs> you know, we started to chat, had a conversation, and then when I, you know, we, we, we um, exchanged Instagram um, you know, handles and, and when I checked out your stuff, I was like, whoa, what the heck? That's awesome. Oh, I mean, your photography is like, it's phenomenal, man. Thank you. Thanks. Really appreciate that. You know, no, man, it's, it's incredible. Um, we've got all of your, um, all of your Instagram details and everything else, obviously, um, in the description. So if anyone's interested, um, you know, make sure you check that out because it is, it is incredible. We've talked about, uh, street photography. You know, in the past on this podcast, one of the things, um, one of the, the, su the subjects that's very popular. Um, and um, we've had, you know, we've, we've had a guest on from New York City uh, previously, and we've been talking about um, shooting street photography in New York City. You are obviously very London-based. Um, tell me a little bit about your sort of connection with the city of London. Um, I think with, with my style of photography being London-based, it's more like... Um bringing you the world I see every day. It's the high intensity, the hustle and bustle, the whole, what I like to call concrete jungle vibe that London has. You know, it's, uh, it's so diverse. In some parts of London, you're completely in a different world where it's mega structures, skyscrapers and everything. And in some parts, it's just so, um, how would I put it, a bit like the New York vibe. Jesus, I mean, a bit like grungy and graffiti arts and in some places it's extremely clinical, like high mega structure, super architecture. And it's just um, it's the blend between both of them, especially when it comes into play with highlights and shadows and just the uh, the lives of Londoners as they move through that city every single day. So yeah, that's that's one thing I love about shooting in London. Have you lived in London all your life? No, no all my life. I think about ten, twelve years now. It's, you know, I moved to London um, back in the sort of mid-90s, and the first thing that I noticed, when I remember flying in for the first time, 
And back then, London looked very different. And this is only like 25 years ago or something, right? Um, there weren't really any skyscrapers to speak of. In, in fact, uh, Canary Wharf was yeah. the only skyscraper at the time. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the London skyline that we know today with the Gherkin and the walkie-talkie and all of all of those yeah. weird buildings with weird names, you know, um, they didn't exist back then. And I remember my first impression flying in thinking, wow, this is like a, it's a really flat city. <laughs> Very true. You know, and uh, you could see um, Tower Bridge, of course, across the river and, uh, you know, and Canary Wharf sticking out. Um, but now it's, there's sort of this, this uh, metropolitan, I don't know how to, how to describe it. It's like a metropolitanness that's been creeping in over the last yeah. couple of decades. And it's really changed central London in many ways. It's, I think it's become more of like a mega city over time. Because I remember when I started living in London, this was just shortly after my uni and everything. It wasn't as intense as it is now. Because it's like everywhere you go, sometimes it's, it's a sea of heads, literally. And then on some Sunday mornings, central London, completely empty. That kind of takes me back to um, the pandemic we had, lockdown. Obviously, going out for your daily exercises, probably had a bit but longer exercise than normal couple of miles walking into the dead centre of London itself, and it's, it's so empty. It just kind of reminds you how much of um, of nature we've taken back with all these cities and mega structures and everything. But, yeah, it's it's a quickly, fastly expanding metropolis, like you said. It's yeah, this, and, yeah, you know, architecturally, it's this sort of... this. Um... You know this this blue steel, concrete yeah. and glass that's that's literally encroaching on this underbelly, which is th this traditional brick Victorian yeah. London. You know that we can still see everywhere, which is amazing. Yeah, but it's slowly fading away now. You yeah. get more of like South Gurk and the cheese grater, which is nice. But then again, historic London is making its way out for the new London. So it's a futuristic London. Well. Not sure how old, but when we were younger, we would look at London today as like, wow, that's what it would be like in the future. The skyscrapers and super quick trains and all that, but it's on flies, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I used to I used to uh, work in Canary Wharf um, in the mid nineties. I was like, I came to London to study music, and then you know, on the side, I was I was doing some, um, some you know some low paid jobs, you know, to keep my head over water basically whilst I was at college. And so I worked um, at Canary Wharf back when it was just one building, essentially, you know. Um, I think the HSBC building hadn't been built yet. So it was, yeah, it was literally like it was, it was just a flat square with one building on it and that was it. Um, and the train station, like, you know, Canary Wharf, as it, as it exists today, this super modern structure, of course, didn't exist either. So, um, and I went back a few weeks ago for the, uh, in fact, when we met, uh, it was yeah. the, the same evening I went to see the, the Festival of Light. Oh, nice. Um, which was, which is cool. It's been the first time that I've been back there in, in many, many years. And it's just incredible how that area alone has changed completely. Cool, isn't it? It's, it's like incredible. being in a different city. Yeah. It's, it's completely... It's literally like energy completely. Yeah. yeah, and it's like it's like a time warp. It's like <laughs> yeah. stepping into the future. It's incredible. 
especially when you walk through um what you call it, is it the Adams Adams Plaza, the you know the little bridge with the rainbow or the motorcycle. It's like you're going through a vortex and then boom, like, whoa, what is this? All of a sudden you feel so small. Yeah. Because of the structure surrounding you. It's it's amazing. And if anybody had seen the same area, like literally 30 years ago, it would have been, it would have been desolate. It would have been like yeah. brick, you know, brick buildings, uh, warehouses. It's a stark contrast to somewhere like Portobello, which yes. is a bit of old London, you see, or like Hackney and around. But that is, it, it's it's amazing. It's one of, one of my favorite places to go shooting, actually, Canary Wharf is. It's nice because um, especially when you have, this time of the year, the winter side, it's quite set low, isn't it? So you have this massive, you can get some walking past and this huge shadow, which is a skill of four to one of the person. And it's just, okay. it is magical. It's an amazing slice of London. Yeah. And this, you know, London is so versatile. You mentioned Portobello. In fact, um, I used to live uh, on the on the corner of Portobello. Um, it was on the, on the corner of, I can't remember the street name now. Whatever it was, right, like, right <laughs> around the corner from Portobello, uh, Portobello Street, and of course there you have the exact opposite, you know, yeah. the the old Victorian, um, you know, quite. I mean, it's again different from when you look at East London, for example, because you know, in East London you have the real like working class kind of, you know, yes. the the terraced houses and that old, uh, you know, Victorian style. Um, Portobello is different because that's it's a little bit more upmarket sort of a sort of a thing, yeah, you know? kind of, yeah. So you've got all of that variety, you know, in London still, which is which really makes it a city that that has this unique blend of different architectural styles, yeah. and people. That's the other thing. Oh yeah, true, true. That's um, that's one of the one of the things that I um, I've always said to myself. I wanted to go around more the country and photograph streets. Well, I've got everything here, London. Different people, different characters, depending on what time of the day you had to go out. But if you head out to um, probably Soho, half seven on a Saturday evening, you would trust me have a different feel compared to midday and the weekday or something. You know, so it's it, it's amazing. It's such a such a diverse interwoven city. I, I wouldn't even call it a city. Probably just like you said, a metropolis. It's it's magical. It's magical, yeah. yeah it's, it's really interesting um, to see, you know, London. I mean, having lived in London for such a long time now, um, I've also been witness to how it's changed, you know. And you always think like, oh, well, I mean, these things, especially when you're younger, you always think, oh, well, you know, these things change so slowly, you don't notice it. But actually now that I can look back over 25 years of having lived in the area, it's just incredible how it's how it's changed so dramatically, and from a photographic point of view, of course, it's just offered it's offered up so much more variety now. You know, yeah. what's your um, what's your sort of go to? Do you have a go to place um, where you where you shoot in London? Um, that's that's a tricky one. You see, thinking about it now, where is my go to place? Where would I? If if you did ask me right now, where would I go straight to to shoot? I think you know what? Maybe because of distance, a bit closer to me. My favorite place to shoot is Paddington. Cool. Yeah. Paddington, four hundred speed film, fifty mil. Boom. That's it. I'm like that. <laughs> <laughs> what what makes uh, Paddington special for you? It's just um, the thing is, I think when you get into Paddington Station. 
you have the what you call it it's not it's not pangola as such it's just that you know you have the everyone here knows my photos i'm obsessed with lines my verticals so you have these kind of vertical lines with the trains and that just sets me it, it kind of it sparks something in me that makes you want to photograph so it's the lines the architecture and just the the business of the whole place you can literally stand in one spot in paddington and get um, 20 good photos because of just so much stuff you get the old lady walking with the grandkids you know, someone running off with the dog or someone sprinting across or one of the guys in the train station with the caddies. So much, there's just so much you can get in that little, what, square mile or two. And it's, yeah, that, that is one of my favourite places to shoot. It, centrally, um, before, well, previously it was um, central of London. But there's just something magical about Paddington. It's, uh, it's the architecture as well. With the Elizabeth line now, you have a bit of the Ultra modern subway system and everything, but you have a bit of the old Paddington as well. The eighteen hundreds design. It's always just it's just a little bit of everything all in one square. So yeah, that that is my favorite spot, Paddington. That's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing you mentioned architecture because that's that's something that's that's really evident from your imagery. And again, yeah. I, you know, I urge everyone you know listening to this or, or watching this to uh, go over it. And you know, check out your your Instagram profile, but it's really evident that your 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 eye is really drawn to um, a lot of architectural lines, because yeah. it's this really beautiful blend of you know of of architecture, lines, buildings, and also people. There, because you, because you also yeah, take probably. a mean uh, like street portrait <laughs> at yes. the same time. Yes, I think um, that that came from when I started photography. Um, I fell in love with cityscapes. That was my first. But then I found myself in street photography. So what I did, I was almost like, um, how would I call it? It's like an urban geometric, not reportage, not photojournalist. There's something in between both of them that's not really photojournalistic. But having lost the touch of um, searching for lines, but now there's more people into it help people go about the daily business. Um, just think about one of my favorite photos of last year was this guy coming down the escalator and he had this little, oh, this little dog on the shoulder. The dog tried to jump off, he caught it and it's, and it's just there. So that action going on, you have the lines of the, the parallels of the, the rails of the escalators coming down. So it's just a perfect mix between geometry and the candid, you know, unscripted street photography. But yeah. That's, that's the thing that um, really interests me when it comes to street photography is is the sort of unscripted aspect of it because yeah. you, you don't really know what you're going to end up with, you know. No, you don't. You don't. And um, one, one thing, I'm not sure if this happens to everyone. It's something I'm guilty of. I'm trying my best to improve. I tend to miss 60% of my best photos. As you see them, you hesitate. There, you're thinking, do I take the shot? Go for it. If, if I'm to give out any little you know, piece of advice today based on my experience, that's one thing I'll encourage people or photographers to do more. Just go for it. What's the worst that will happen? Because uh, I've, I've, I've lost out on a few amazing moments because I hesitated. I just thought, you know what, do I take this photo? 
one of the techless phones in this person sees me because I'm trying to avoid eye contact as much as possible. But um, yeah, it's it, it's amazing. You just never know what you what you would find. You step off your house, you turn left, you turn right, bang, and it's a filter. Or you're out for the whole day, an hour or two, nothing. And you're way back, then you see it. So you just go get yourself ready. Well, especially when you're shooting digital, um, it's sort of it's relatively easy to just basically go for it here and take lots of photos. Um, especially when you see somebody, let's say you see somebody walking through, um, like sort of a pool of light somewhere or something, mm-hmm. and you can just basically hammer it out and then just you know hope for the best, you know, and hope that there's going to be one shot in there where it's you know it's perfect. But you shoot a lot of film, um, and I'm I'm guessing you can have to be a lot more kind of measured uh, when you yes. take pictures. Yes, because um, I have a point of departure, so to say. I know what exactly I want from that thing. So uh, the way I see it is um, a roll of film, 36 shots, I need just four. Four good photos in that roll of film to make it relevant. But then everything else is just chance, a bit of luck, timing. But when I see the photo, trying to get myself ready and then on that so, but I think that's where the whole um, love for geometry helps me because you have two types of street photographers you have the uh, what do you call them again the hunters and the fishers I'm a bit of a hunter I'm really patient enough to sit in one spot and wait for nah. it's just there's just something in me I'm out there with my camera I just want to go ahead and take photos so if I find a nice scene nice lines and everything it's just the way I feel two, three, four, five minutes and then bang perfect scene framed perhaps and walk through photo completed and everything else from that it's just pure fun yeah, and then yeah that's it that's um, that's the way I make the most out of shooting film because it can be quite scary especially with you know obviously prices and everything and I'm just knowing that you can waste the whole row and then get nothing. <laughs> yeah. But with digital, I'm a bit more prolific. Just shoot, 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 shoot. It's almost like spraying prey, but um, I prefer film. It's a bit more, it grounds me a bit more. It makes me think better about what I want to get from, um, from that shooting session, really. Yeah. Film speed, if it's color, if it's black and white, if it's slide film, which I started shooting a lot again recently. Yeah. I think that's really that's really key is that uh, you know having that measured approach and knowing what you're what you're hunting so to say you know yeah. um, but of course a lot of things really come into that like knowledge of the city for example you know knowing True. where to be uh, when you know at what time of the day or even what time of the year because you know like well in this area the light's going to be gorgeous at that time you know like you mentioned earlier at Canary Wolf you get the tall buildings the skyscrapers and you yeah. know these strips of off sky and then you know exactly when the light comes in that way oh, and the show, sure, yeah. you know and that's that's a really that's really a key thing I think is is to have that in depth knowledge of the the area that you're that you're photographing. Of course, so it's really important. Uh, yeah. So if you like, since you've photographed London, have you have you noticed um, like a change in the way you approach things? Uh, yeah, I think when when I when I switched from cityscapes to street photography was one of the most awkward moments of my life. The fact that I'm a very 
relaxed, leggy back person, naturally, right? Let's go with the camera, right in someone's face. And it's a bit, wow. It'd be an ultimate confidence and normally. So since that, I think with over time, we, my camera and the city have kind of become one in this weird like, synergy. I know where to go, when to go, and how to go about photography. So I think it's it's all about practice, about confidence, knowledge about the city, like you said, because there are certain... I mean, London is pretty safe, even though, I mean, the, the, the world is the world and everything happens everywhere nowadays, right? London is pretty safe, but there is, there is a level of ethics that you just have to have at the back of your mind when you're photographing. I try not to photograph kids. That's just my preference. I've got a five-year-old myself. I know what, how I might react if I saw someone come to me with a camera. I try to stay away from families when they have the private moments. But then again, if it's, say, for example, I'm on, on the other side of a train on the tube, and you have the window framed, you have a kid facing back towards me, I take the shot. It's no intrusive. It's an honest photo. So it's all about just um, being streetwise at the same time. Because uh, street photography is one of those genres of photography that could get pretty ugly if you get on the wrong side well, of the wrong person, you know? Yeah, and I think that's the fear um, for a lot of people is, you know, the potentially negative reaction yeah. that that you might get, you know, when you're out on the street photographing other people. It's got, you know, the, there could be a number of reasons for that. First of all, people obviously treasure their privacy. Yeah. You know, one can understand that. The other thing is also that people don't necessarily understand what the legal ins and outs actually are when it comes to street photography. Um, and and so it's, you know, there's always this this sort of, I think it's a fear of rejection. I think that's a, that's sort of what plays, you know, on the mind of, of a lot of people when they're photographing. And I can feel that myself because I love street photography. I'm not, you know, I'm a portrait photographer. That's usually what I do. Usually I work under very controlled conditions. It's <laughs> usually what happens. But... Um, you know, but I love street photography, and for me, it's like it's a great leveler where I can enjoy photography without without any rules and without any, you know, any basically where I just have to totally react to what else, whatever is happening around me. It's it's liberating. Yeah, you're the master and architect of whatever you're doing. Yeah, you have all this huge, infinite canvas of a city to literally do exactly what you feel like. Yeah, liberating yeah. is the exact essence of what I was looking yeah. for. Exactly, it is absolutely yeah. liberating. Um, but it, it it also comes with that little, uh, you know, with that sense of of fear, the thing that that keeps you on your edge, and that's that's the thing where you kind of think like, oh well, you know, what if somebody turns around and tells me to stop shooting, or has a go at me, or you know, ask me, you know, to I don't know, delete a photo, or yeah, you I've know, had that a few times, yeah. I just showed at the back of the camera. Like it's sorry, it's film. So I'm just let go. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you you're hundred percent correct because um a lot of people are scared of rejection and I believe it or not, fifty fifty is for me. Sometimes people are like no no, no just, don't put a camera in my face. And sometimes I make friends with people and I have a full conversation. Oh, where are you from? Where'd you get this that this stuff? Here is my Instagram. Oh, you need to film as well. Like we bumped into each other. That was exactly. the same 
I think I loaded the camera and I saw you and your friends you were with. I thought, oh, I'd get a quick photo of these guys. And then you came up and then we started talking and here we are today. It so exactly. it, it does open doors beyond taking a photo of someone. You never know who you, you would meet on the street. Absolutely. It can be a life-changing encounter. It can be just a casual photo. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's, I mean, especially especially in a, in a city like London, you know, we have such a diverse population oh, yeah. as well. It's, it's so super interesting. It's, you know, that's what I find. Um, I was actually, I tell you what, when I, uh, when I went to London last time, like a few weeks ago, um, when, or a couple of months ago when we met, um, the thing that really struck me was how super busy it was with tourists again. You know, I haven't really, or hadn't experienced that since before the pandemic, and I sort of I yeah. kind of forgot what that was like, you know, a little bit. It's it's the city has thawed out, become of hibernation, and say right back again, back alive again. Yeah, it was. Um, based on what you said just now, that kind of takes me back to one of the photos I took uh, earlier in the pandemic. I think it was somewhere near Marble Lodge. It was, and Marble, no, no, no Marble, Piccadilly Circus was. You know, when you have the curved uh, street, usually that place is one of the most busy parts of London, right? I got this photograph of a bus with just the bus driver, a passenger on top, and no one else. Yeah. It felt like um, like the whole city had been edited. Like you paused there, deleted all the people, and then played. It was... There's some like an eerie feel, like really, really ghost towny, scary almost feel to, to the city. But it, it's a good thing that it's back alive again. You know, it's such a such a massive place that globally everyone talks and you know, looks up to to London or those that live in London. And for it to be that quiet felt a bit wrong. It felt really out of Let me just say a quick thank you to our sponsor, DVE Store. DVE Store's mission is to help you create better video and provide you with the tools necessary to explore your creativity. If you have any digital video equipment needs, whether that's camera equipment, audio gear or lighting, and much more, you can check them out at dvestore.com. Thank you to DVE Store for the high-def video. And of course, you can find a link to DVE Store in the description. Yeah, the pandemic was a, was a weird time um, for London because... I remember, actually, my friend Nick and I, we were supposed to meet up and go into London for a street photography trip. But it was just at the time when the infection levels, like when the numbers went through the roof. And we decided, so in yeah. the spur of the moment, we decided, well, maybe it's not a good idea to go into London right now. Um, maybe let's go to some other place, like maybe somewhere by the coast, you know, that's not as busy. So we decided to go to Brighton instead. And just spend a day just doing some street photography in Brighton, which was super fun. I actually got some awesome shots there. Um, but then, of course, the pandemic hit, and it was literally two years of complete, but well, more or less complete shutdown. And then, eventually, we said, "Okay, you know, we're going to have to catch up with this idea of going to London." And um, so we did. And it was just at a time when things had opened up again, but people were still very careful. Like, although I think, you know, you could be go back into town, like hardly anybody did. And so we got this, this unique view of London where, you know, I, I remember walking down the Strand 
and thinking, I've never seen this so empty. <laughs> you know, I mean, if there were like three pedestrians, like, you know, that was a lot. And yeah, it was incredible. Um, oh, and wow. it gave us an opportunity <laughs> to, um, to go to some places and photograph a few places um, in a way that we're probably never going to see them again, unless there's another pandemic, of course. But, you know, yeah. But, uh, you know, so we oh, went oh, to, uh, there's a street, there's a cobble street around, around the back of um, Tower Bridge. And I forget what it's called now. But it's, uh, it's basically, it's a narrow old street um, flanked with old warehouses from like 200 years ago, whatever. And there's some iron cast, uh, cast iron bridges that go across. It's, it's like one of these, um, one of these old London kind of pictures. And it's, it's a couple of, if I, if I remember the yeah, name of the street, I will put it in, yeah. in the, yeah. in the description or in the, the bottom half of this video, if you're watching YouTube. It's the, yes. the, what do you call it? That's yeah. still moving. And it has bridges. a dead an angle because they used yeah, to, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it. so one, one row of buildings on one side of the street, uh, the warehouses uh, bordered onto the Thames, and they used to load in uh, goods and barrels, for example. And so they then rolled the barrels across these bridges that were at an angle into the building on the other side, the warehouse on the other side of the street. And that's why they're at an angle. I never do that, but, you know, it's. Uh, I think I saw it on some TikTok thing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Um, so, you know, it makes sense. But nowadays, of course, they're all like apartment buildings and, you know, people people set up like little, little garden shares and some garden furniture, whatever, on these bridges. Um, and it's just such a unique yeah. view down there. But, of course, it's also packed with people usually. You know, it's it's one of these tourist places. It's literally just, uh, it just comes off of Tower Bridge um, on the south side of the river. And, you know, seeing that street so empty with literally just a few people dotted around there, it's, it's something that, you know, at that time of day as well, you'll probably never, never find again. You know, that's, that was the that was the interesting part about that. So, what was your uh, what did you do during the pandemic? Did you take that opportunity to go into London and photograph it empty? Oh, you were pandemic <laughs> was more of gardening. <laughs> Trust me about that. More of gardening and um, yeah. I think um, because we couldn't go anywhere, it was just uh, myself, the little one, and uh, the missus. Yeah, gardening, photos around, old walks or park. And I think I took a lot of photos of them in the house, but that was before I went more into analog. So I had enough time to you know, mess about with digital and all that. But yeah, it was. It, it was it was strange because um it did happen the, the pandemic happened when i got more interested in street photography that was just at the end i think that was the cusp of where i started moving from cityscapes to street because it made me realize how much more i wanted to see people in my photos by not seeing anyone during the pandemic so i was okay right but normally it probably have to wait a long time for no one to go through the scene so I can get just the shots of this building or, um, I don't know, a stairwell or something. But then I find that it's so empty. It's just concrete, uh, literally just concrete. And then uh, my career just started. I started photographing all the people I see, maybe two, three, four people coming back as the restrictions got lifted and everything. And then yeah, it's almost like during the pandemic was that was my transition period. 
from mainly architecture and setting to full-blown, not, not Bruce Gilden's kind of level, into your face. So you, you started, you started shooting digital yeah. and then, then you moved into shooting film. Um, what was that sort of thought process like? Yes. Um, it, I, I think what, what happened was it got to a point where all my photos started to feel the same. There, was, there wasn't this... There was something I was searching for, an organic feeling. Then I started researching, and I said, oh, okay, what is this? Road effects. Initially, I saw a video from Peter McKinnon. Everyone knows Peter McKinnon. So he had this camera on the backdrop. So I watched that. So I paused it and looked into the road effects. Oh, that looks nice. I wanted to get one to on my shelf to make me look cool and such. Uh, so I got it. It was dead cheap, just right after the pandemic and everything. Uh, put the raw film through it. Now this, everyone who should film would probably hate me for this one, but we all learned from one point again. Put the raw film through it, 12 exposures, open the back and I went like that. What have I just done? So that was my first ever raw film exposed. Oh, goodness, what about just so I'll go back and Google and start researching that thing. I had another one, it was HP Pi, popped into the camera, closed off, took it to the nearest photo lab, and I think it was gonna take seven days. Sent off, went back. What's in the scans with the answer? Like, oh my goodness, what is this? So I think it was the whole the grain, the parts of the lens and everything. I was like, oh my goodness, this this looks nice. So then Shot with the roller flex a bit, started researching, and I picked up my first light at the M6. And never looked back from that. It's been since then, it's been me and the Leica rangefinder. But yeah, it's it's it, it was just something refreshing. I feel film is better than digital. Which a lot of people might be like, oh, really good. I feel film personally, film is better than digital. If you if you should film right, the right settings good enough light, you can get some really, really, really magical results. So how do you, um, how does your thinking change when you switch from digital to, to film? Like what's your, what's your thought process that you go through in order to expose something accurately on film, for example? It's okay. The thing that the the first part is my mentality flipped. No, you should digital, you expose for Exposed to the highlights, isn't it? And then you find, I find right. myself metering for the shadows. And this came not first day, not even after a year. This was a lot of trial and error and practice. And I realized, hang on a minute, there was more latitude on the highlight side, which is opposite to digital. And then, um, it, it, I, because of how much film I shoot, the volume of film I shoot, I really don't see any restriction and probably think it's just, it doesn't matter if it's 36, it's another stone, put it on my back, pop another roll in. But then having a Leica rangefinder as well, which is digital, it's kind of taking me away from all my luxuries I did enjoy when I was just more with other sheets and systems, Sony, for example, where you have 10 frames per second and it's just boom, boom, boom. I try to get there. Frame it, one shot. So I treat my digital yeah. camera like an analog camera as well. So it's all 
one it's, it's all you know, it's actually just very similar to uh, the way i approach concert photography so i you know it didn't have to i used to be a musician but well, still a musician really yeah. um, but i you know my my way into photography was i you know i started shooting bands and friends of mine you know who were playing um oh. and and so in the beginning i used to do exactly the same thing i used to basically you know spray and pray you know the whole time and you end up with a gazillion of shots, you know, and you de upload them into Lightroom or something, and you go like, oh, shoot, now I'm going to have to go through 4,000 photos. Yeah. Damn. Um, and so what what's happened over time is is that now, I mean, I would say I have a pretty good instinct when it comes to, you know, working out what's happening on stage and so preempting what is about to happen, because that's always the, that's the thing. So you got to get this, you got to develop this instinct of what is about to happen um, so that you could actually hit the shutter button at the right time. And so now what I do is I like double tap, you know, <laughs> I bet you just go boom, boom. And, oh, and, boom. uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's worked beautifully because, because now the, the overall amount of images that I come home with is, is much reduced, but actually they're all better. And it, it, it keeps your thinking clear because, you know, I think this is of the lead singer with the mic, the uh, energy in the photo. And you have like another one, maybe wide angle with everyone, 28 mil or 21. So you you actually, you're almost more like a film director in the sense you know exactly what you want to get from it. So it's just all about waiting for that right moment. Yeah. Time, shoot. So do you develop your film run. yourself or do you? I do, I do, yeah. I do. Oh, wow, okay. Black, white, color, slides, I do, yeah. It definitely takes me back. You know, my dad used to develop yeah. uh, black and white film um, but back w when I was a kid, you know. And uh, and so what he would do is we'd oh, just see, like, living in an apartment, at one bathroom, and he would basically turn the bathroom into a dark room. You know, it'd be like, well, as long as the, as long as you can see red light <laughs> shining through the, you know, underneath the door, don't come in. <laughs> okay, well, fine. <laughs> you know. But I remember, like, the smell of the chemicals and everything. That would just take me back. Yeah, but, but that's one of the bright sides of film shooting today. Most of the new formulas are not as harsh as what, what I'm new into film. I've been shooting film for about two and a half years now. So in the film world, I'm technically a baby, but I've kind of learned really, really quick because of um, a lot more things available to us nowadays. If you want to get more of a developer, you can get it on like, well, I mean, previously where you had to go to a lab go to a particular retailer who only sold EXO or something or HC Woman Zero, whatever developers people use. But everything's all available now. You go online, you order it, in two days it's at home. But what I've noticed is um, the chemicals are less harsh, less toxic, the ones I use anyway. Um, the whole process is easier. It's a lot easier. There is this lab box. I don't know if you heard about it. It's a oh, right, okay. It's like a daylight developing tank. I do tend to use it as well as my Batson. Sometimes just really just want to get home and get the photos out and then you're not really in the mood to start fidgeting with a dark, changing mind. It doesn't matter. People might say, oh, yeah, that's the easy way out. The fingers, the photos are taken on film and getting developed and it's out there for you to see. It's a good photo. We appreciate it. So it doesn't really matter what form you process your film as long as you're getting it right and doing it yourself gives room for you to experiment 
been pushing and pulling loads of film and it's fun. Recently, um, I got a role of Kodachrome, 64. I thought, no, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this work. And more than my photos I posted on Instagram was from Kodachrome. So I thought, you know what? It's, uh, it's just like every other film has got silver in it, right? But it's through black and white chemistry. Fixed it. Took it out. Looked a bit Okay, I might get a photo here. But I just thought, I'm going to try and experiment out. Why not just run through a bleach process again? And that took away a bit of the color layer. More, even though it's not color, I got this gorgeous strip of black and white. And that is a way from just playing about experimenting. You can make something that everyone thought couldn't happen, happen. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's almost like it's, it is pure science, chemistry again. High <laughs> school chemistry. But they're still around, yeah. you know, you know, right, let's, um, let's, let's talk <laughs> let's talk through the whole um, process of developing film. For those listeners who may not have had any experience with uh, with film yeah, development okay. at all. So what what is it that you need and how do you go about um developing the film from taking it out of your camera to actually having a finished print in front of you? Okay. Um well I print digitally. Never once printed in a dark in a dark room, okay? But from getting the film out of the camera, just basic stuff. You developers clean water, a thermometer, a thermometer is key because you can really, really mess things up if you well if you choose in black and white. So room temperature 20, 21 degrees is fine. I tried to get to around 45 degrees. With that warm in my tank, because that just slowly brings it down to about 39.5, 38, which is a sweet spot, really. And then um, when you're doing slides, you need to be a bit more careful with that. So a thermometer, patience, just make sure no one's disturbing you. You've got a clear mind of what you're doing and everything. And then, um, yeah, developer, tank, thermometer, pair of scissors, I guess. Snip the end up. Ah. I do tend to do a snip test with the end, the edge of the film leader. But sometimes I forget to check the life, the shelf life of my developers. And you, you could take a list of voters and pull through. Your developer might still be active, but then your fixer's gone. So you get this weird, like a nice strip of third mill images, but then it's not properly fixed. It's funny, like a purple background you get with it. Or the other way around. So that's very important. Make sure your developers and dates all fresh or not spent. And then, um, yeah, just follow the rules <laughs> away from the magic to happen. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. It's just it's just passion. It's just when you, just like photography as well, you're passionate about something, you know what to do. The rules are there to guide you. They're not it's not set in stone. I've done things the other way around. You do that. that. That's the beauty of photography. It's just like music, like pottery, like any form of art, really. You can make your own rules, but there are principles, so to say, that kind of govern the outcome of things. But the rules are there for you to make and break. So, you know, once, you've, you um, so once you've about... basically developed, like once you develop the film and you've got the actual negative, uh, then I guess you scan it in? Yeah, hang it to dry for an hour or two, 
Um, I have a scanner. It's an Epson V600. Works for me because I can scan my uh, 126 by 6 images from there. I can scan 35. I can scan slides if I wanted to, but I don't really have the slide cut out to just kind of scan it for a digital well. Yeah, scanner and uh, that's one of the most important things because um, you, you never know where. You never know how good your photos might end up being because we tend to grow naturally as humans with every single thing we do. We, the more you do something, the more it becomes a, like second nature to you, muscle memory, and you get better. So I archive my negatives and, uh, you know, the little what, paper and state sheets and all that. But you never can tell. I'm like, just like, what's this woman's name? Vivian Meyer. She lived, photographed. And she never got to see her own greatness. People did that for her, you know? So yeah, keep your negatives because if you if your computer actions or whatever, you still have the physical stuff. And that is where the real, in my opinion, real photography is. Yeah, it was, it was interesting, you know, tangible um, copy. it's actually, I think, so towards the back end of, of the pandemic, uh, I I spoke to uh, to Joe McNally and, uh, and so we're talking about, you know, okay. What he got up to uh, during the pandemic, and the one thing he said, like, oh, you know, he said he went through his his archive of photographs in, to see to create different things that he could, you know, potentially uh, put together in the collections of books or whatever. And so he was telling me about how he um, went through literally yeah. gazillions of of old negatives, you know. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, man, I don't have any negatives actually. To be honest with you, because I sort of came into into photography. So I'd say at the beginning of the digital age. You know, um, and although photography has been running in my family for generations, um, I, you know, I didn't get really involved in film photography per se. It's always been around me and everything, but when I first started shooting myself, it was all digital already. So, um, you know, and ever since then, I've had this sort of, this affinity with film photography, you know, and the process, because I always, I love the process, you know, I love the process of everything, um, everything from, you know, this is why I, this is why I love portraits, um, because I like the whole thing from like coming up with the idea to planning how I'm about to, how I'm going to do it to actually executing the shoot to then doing the post production and the editing at the end in order to get the the finished result. Um, so just just two questions that I have for you. One is, um, let's start at the beginning. So how do you how do you plan a street photography shoot? Like what's the what's the sort of initial thinking beforehand before you go out? to shoot? Uh, two things. How long I'm going to shoot for and the kind of light that's out there. If it's going to be a quick casual shoot, then I'll probably just black MA 51.4 to rolls of so. If it's going to be a longer shoot, I tend to carry two cameras because uh, the the thing is that the good thing about the age we live in now is you can bridge the gap analog and digital. I tend to, well, for shoots where I think, okay, I want to get something print worthy. I want to get something that I can put on my personal portfolio. I go with digital and analog because if you ever, if you, if you ever took a photo in film and for some reason 
during the process went wrong, you have a digital backup. Or if you go a shooting episode and then you run out of battery, or your memory card crashes or whatever, you've got a backup in film. But if it's just a casual one, camera on the shoulder, done. Then again, the light, that's the main thing. If it's uh, an evening shoot, intended to shoot 400 wide open, on exposed to step to 1600, 60th of a second, 1.4, boom, get a shot. If it's daytime, I tend to go with a faster film, sorry, a slower film, 100 speed film, get overexposed to 50. But then again, I'd say it's three things now. You need to think about the kind of photo. If you go for a dreamy look, you're shooting everything at 1.4 or F2, then obviously you need to get the right stock to go with that. Sometimes they shoot at F8 or F11. Because I just want that, I just want that much depth in my photo. Especially in a place like Canary Wharf. You see, Canary Wharf is never the best place where you want to go and shoot everything wide open. There's just so much structure in there. There's so much structure, there's so much you can get from, especially now, this time of the year, where it's uh, the winter sun. You get the low set sun and a lot of shadow. A lot of... Um... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it horizontal? <laughs> yeah. Horizontal is this way, isn't it? <laughs> you get a lot of shadow on the, on the floor. So you want a lot, you want to get as much in focus as possible. And if it's fast space as well, because I, I shoot zone focusing a lot. So I'll film a camera at F8, probably 1.5 meters as well, or eight feet. And then you just, you just need to get in there, get the photo and move on. So it's, it's, there's, there's a lot that goes on truly when I think about when I'm going out to shoot street. But the, the main two principles are the kind of photo really, which still ties in with how long I'm shooting for and the kind of light. Because, I mean, like, from the word photography, we're well, recording lights, isn't it? Graphs of photons, photography. It's all about the light. Light, light, light is the main determining factor. So for anybody who, would, who would want to get into a street photography, what would you say would be sort of the ideal kit to take um, into a place like London, for example? Getting into street photography, not being biased, because I love Leica, I recommend a Q2. A Q2 monochrome. When you see in black and white, then you start to appreciate colour. Colour can be very distracting. That's one thing I've learned. I thought it was the other way around. Oh, it's black and white. Your photos might look a bit boring or a bit too technical. No. It's way more difficult to master colour. Anyone can shoot in a photo and make it look good. But it's the story behind it. What's the impact of the photo? Does it tell a story? Can you relate to the photo? Does it take you to what the photographer saw, how the person who made that It's image. a really interesting thing, you yeah, know, just looking through your Instagram um, feed. It's, there's sort of, you can really see when, you know, it's almost like one era comes to an end and then, then like a new era starts. And uh, sort of, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that you've sort yes. of, you know, you've, you've literally drifted towards black and white. Like if you look at the whole feed, you can really tell where like there's sort of, you know, at first, because um, you've got these, 
amazing images with like really cool like sort of steely blue tones and great oranges you know and yellows and stuff like that and then and then the sporadic black and white so then it really shifts you know and it goes into like much more of a black and white mode um which is which is fantastic man I, yeah. I love black and white photography i tend to personally i tend to always drift towards black and white you know and um and it's you know, in my very limited street photography experience, so what I've done, what, what what I tend to do is, I tend to basically take all the color out and see if it works as a as a black and white shot. Um, and it's only when there's something very special about the color in the shot that I'll sort of keep it as a as a color shot. Yeah, but that's it's a color shot. Yeah, I tend to work that way as well. I photograph in black and white. And I don't know, maybe it's just me. There is something about taking a photo in black and white. You tend to remember it more. Because when you photograph in black and white, you're thinking only about the context of the photograph, the way the light relates with it. You thought it's just a high contrast. So you tend to remember. But then if you're shooting with a camera, especially a digital camera that's not natively black and white, when you flip it into color, you see something completely different. Sometimes for the worse, sometimes better. But the ID mix hit every you know, now and then with few photos and color as well. But I think I prefer colors when you have just two yeah. in the scene or three. Probably, um, like you said, you know, the blue, still, and orange kind of a moody feel in my previous photos, which I still kind of so I tried to bring back again recently. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. You, you can nail color easily and you could absolutely ruin a good photo. So I've, I've tried a couple of different things. Like I, 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 I shoot with um, a Fuji um, X100F, which I really, I really love that camera. It's a cool little camera. Um, but uh, I tried this thing where I basically set because you can you can kind of program these sort of color presets, you know, like film simulations and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And uh, so I put together, yeah. I sort of play around with it. I put together my own little kind of creations. Um, and what what I did try was uh, I went out one time and I basically set the thing to black and white, so all I could see is black and white. Like even on the you know the back of the screen, it would record um, a raw image as well, just as a backup, I guess. But uh, but I thought like, what would it be like yeah. you know if I went out and I only shot black and white, like as if I only had a black and white camera, and I never actually see the um, you know the, the color version of it, and I really quite enjoyed it. Um, color, yeah. Is that what you do, or do you do you, do you record in color and then convert? Yeah. No, my the the only digital camera I have oh, okay, so, yeah. is preset in black and white. So all my photos are taken in black and white. When I upload it to my phone. It's short and black and white. When I go to edit it, it comes up with color. So I've got this tab in Lightroom set. But when I import a photo, it switches it to the Adobe Monochrome. I don't want to see color. Unless I remember there is something really, really good. There's a good maybe it's a level of warmth in that particular scene. Um if you, well, re, if you look at one of the photos recently on my Instagram feed, there's this uh, picture of a man and a woman. But yeah, we're shut through the class after the coffee shop. And all you can see is this. I think there was a red light inside and a little bit of 
blue somewhere going in. So it was like a, it felt like a painterly, so lighterish kind of picture. With the light in there, reflecting off the frosty glass, had this flame warm look. This was about half ten in the evening. It was cold as four or five degrees out there. So sometimes colour can breathe life into the picture. Too much of it can distract you. But I prefer to shoot in black and white because then I just focus on the structure, focus on the, the emotions. As a portrait photographer yourself, you know the feeling you get when you photograph someone in black and white. You see, it's like you're seeing through the person's soul. You're there, in there with them. One of the colors, it's skin tones, it's highlights, this, then you start looking at oh, this person's eyes are blue. It's just too much stuff, too much information. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I feel about black and white portraiture. It, it strips away a layer, you know, yeah. of. Of, of the way that we yeah. perceive the world and another person. And what it does is it it reveals yeah. something that's underneath. And a lot of the time, you know, especially with expressions, with like with you yeah. and facial expressions, um, there's something that you can only see in black and white images, like a sense of like some emotional content, basically, that is almost hidden by the color. And it, yeah. I'm not really sure whether it's the fact that the color is a distraction from that, you know, that, that's that, that's how I see it. That's how I see it. It's, I mean, it's like, like you said, black and white is emotion. Color is expression. So color, you can go with the whole feel an orange feel, or you can go, you can go monochrome with color as well. That's what lots of people might not know. That, oh, monochrome is black and white. No, you can go, you can go full blue scale. Yeah, and everything is blue. There's different shades of blue, and it's amazing. But then again, you could you can photograph someone uh, probably Tower Bridge, and you have the blues, you have the reds, and the London bus going through, and then someone is walking past with a green umbrella next to someone with a yellow. It's just it's chaotic. It's just so busy. But then again, you could actually take it with the charm of a photo by shooting in black and white. So it's all about I think it's uh, it's all about how it's it's the subject I think that determines the kind, the level of saturation, so to say, in a, in a photo. You don't want to show sunset in black and white, yeah. unless the light is that good, because you're losing it all charm. You know? But then again, if you're shooting something like, uh, like Tate Modern in color, why would you want to do that? Just pure structure. All you want to see there is you know, shapes and circles and triangles, and so it's all about the subject. I think that's kind of what determines for me. That's what makes me think: Do I shoot this in color? Is it in black and white? If it's in color, is it pastely? Is it highly saturated? If it's in black and white, is it a flat, industrial, smoky gray you get from somewhere like Earl's Court, or is it high contrast? Never wore for a So, what's your uh, process once you've you know once you've imported your your photos into um, I guess Lightroom? Um, what is your sort of editing process, your post production process? Hardly edit nowadays. Well, hardly edit because um, if I'm scanning a film, it's straight from how the film is. 
uh, digital as well, I tend to use the Leica Photos app. So that comes into my phone or my little iPad mini, the way it is in the camera. Only thing I might do is just correct for vertical lines. I am absolutely obsessed with my, my vertical would have to be vertical. That's one thing. It has to be. And yeah, just that uh, probably just crop scale down. And I think I'm trained myself to finish my photo in the camera because you're shooting analog on the rangefinder as well. So all you have you have this little patch in there. You just have to get it to fit in there because to me, you're losing out on information. Cropping is nice, but I tend not to prep anymore because I, I know exactly it's it's muscle memory. I know where the, the borders of my fifth is, I know where my twenty-eight is. If I'm shooting 90, I don't really think about because there's a three focus to shoot 20 or 50 or 90. I don't think about the edges and the 90. I just focus on the middle. But with 50, it's a bit of both. 28, and then I actually frame my stuff in the camera and think, okay, you know what? This looks straight, and then boom. Get the photo. So it's um yeah, it's just proper vertical lines. Probably add a bit I, I do like vignette in, in my photos. I like it. it. It just tends to pull your eye to the middle and then it creates this um 3D pop, like micro contrast or whatever it is. It just kind of makes you see okay, well, it's a bit like tunnel vision. Because everything else is there, but it's not really there because it's like Focus your attention to the center. Yeah, that's that's my. It's 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 a really really straightforward raw editing process for me. And part of it is not it's not caring about the photo, which I know sounds a bit contradictory. But the less you care about how people see your photo, the more you force them to experience what you felt when you took the photo. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. It's hit and miss. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's one of these things. I think, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> there's this sort of, there's this, this thing where sometimes I think like, oh, well, you know, I see a shot and like something didn't go quite right. And I kind of, I can, I know I can pull it back in Photoshop. Um, so what I do, um, uh, what I do a lot is I shoot a lot of composites, for example. So there's a project, uh, like a, a portrait series that I shoot where it's, there's a lot of compositing involved in that. And so, of course, I sort of trained myself to shoot for the, for the edit. So I, in a sense, I know what, but I know what's going to happen in mm. post production. So I'm going to shoot specifically to that, so that you know. But street photography for me is the exact opposite, you know, where and which is why I find it so liberating, you know, because it, it basically takes away the shackles of having to think the way that I would normally think, you know, and it just forces me to think differently, which is great. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's very much like, in a sense, what, what moving to film photography has has done to the way that you see you know, an image, um, by, but, you know, it's obviously, it's sort of forced you yeah. to, to literally think, well, okay, well, that's, that's what I can see in the viewfinder and that's what the film is going to be like. And that's just how it is, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's why I always, I find supertopia is just a really fascinating. Um, it's really, it really is a challenge for me. I have to say, you know, like I, I, I'm a, I'm a mega fan of street photography. I love street photographers, um, and the ability to catch scenes. Um, and, and it's not something that comes easy to me, which is why I love, this is why I love the subject so much, <laughs> you know, and it's all down to practice. Yeah. That's the thing. So, um, yeah. for anybody coming to uh, visit London mm -hmm. or, or in fact, anybody who lives in and around London, um, what would you say would be like your, your top five 
street photography locations in, in London? That's a tricky one. Paddington, yeah. um, like I said earlier, my number one. Uh, more London, which is where you have the shard. That's the Bollywood Oh, yeah. The shard and Tower Bridge and everything. Liverpool Street is amazing. Liverpool Street is fantastic. Portobello, if, you, if you're brave enough, to be in the middle of thousands of people. Portobello on a Saturday morning when the market is on, you can get some interesting photos because you blend in. No one sees you, everyone's busy, but you can get some really, really, really interesting candid photos of people. And then the fifth, I'd say, I'd say Canary Wharf. Canary Wharf kind of takes you back. Canary Wharf has some more structure and people filter where you can really just chill soak the city if you like lines leading lines and architecture and stuff like that i'd say every part of london is amazing for me personally if we were to go on a photo walk together that's probably in that order is you have the you have paddington that kind of wakes you up into it and then you have a bit of paddington more london and then Liverpool Street, you started to get into the whole metropolis and everything. And then when you start feeling like it's a, it gets a bit boring, for me, another day you could go and you go, boom, Fantastic. organs blazing, proper, yeah, you're shooting an F8. There's just no time to focus. You just get in there, get the photo, ninja style, as discreet as possible. And then Canary Wharf is, Canary Wharf is probably the best on a Sunday morning. As you get like lights reflecting off the building and the sun and everything, and yeah, yeah. you know what the day we met in London? It was the the day of the Chinese New Year, I remember. And uh, and man, I yeah. was you know my idea was yeah. oh, okay. Well, why don't we you know go down through Chinatown, you know, and take some pictures because there's a lot going on. But I was not prepared for the amount of people that was there. Stop it. Yeah, his name is me as well. I think. I I just come back from, I was heading back from Canary Wharf actually on that day. I thought, you know what, today I'm going to go shoot slides. So I had, uh, I had two rolls of Ectochrome and one roll of VLP50. I had a particular set of photos I wanted in my head. I wanted, uh, you know, like I said, you know, the, what do you call it, that? the bridge, yeah. the Adams Bridge Plaza with all the rainbow lights in there. I did that. I did a light tunnel in King's Cross. Oh, yeah. Number six, King's Cross. Amazing. This guy's fantastic spot as well. Yeah, I just thought, you know, let's let's see what what's happening in Central. And then it was the, the Lunar Chinese New Year. Yeah, it was incredible. Wow, what a uh, day that was, wasn't it? Oh, it was it was Oh jeez. Yeah, it was I it wish was I had nuts. Um, I remember like <laughs> my 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 uh, my eleven year old daughter came with me as well because she's she's into cameras. She likes you know she likes taking photos. Um she's into uh, dog photography, so she's uh, a for dog a photographer. But oh, um, nice. but she, uh, you know, she <laughs> wanted to come along and do some street photography, uh, and she got some pretty awesome shots. Actually, I have to say, it's like mega respect there. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's. I think yeah, she's sort of. That's know, it's a different tell. angle. It's a different perspective. <laughs> you know, but um, but yeah, it was uh, especially right. On the, you know, the main the main street. Um, 
what's it called? Is it called Warren Street? I can't remember. The, the main street leading into the into Chinatown. And it was so yeah. packed with people. It was like, I thought I'd, I'd get murdered in there. It was just unbelievable. Jesus. But um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely, absolutely an event not to miss if you're in London at around right about that time. So fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, I love your tips on locations because uh, if, you know, Steve Brazel, if you're listening to this episode, you know, jot those down because um, I know you're in London in in a, in a few months' time. So there you go. Anyhow, um, Gilbert, thank you so much for coming onto the uh, onto the podcast and talk to us. It was an absolute education. I absolutely love it. Um, we have to, at some point, do a photo walk together in London. That'd be fantastic. Um, and uh, and I'll be uh, you know we Let's do it. we can create uh, we can create maybe we can create something that'd be extremely useful for uh, for our listeners as well you know for all of you uh, in the UK I know we have a lot of listeners in the UK but uh, even for our audience abroad um, in North America and so on you know if you are listening if you are planning on coming to London it's one of the most picturesque cities in the world um, it's very very different from you know from New York or Chicago or Los Angeles and really has a very unique vibe. It's such a blended experience that uh, I highly recommend it. Anyway, Gilbert, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, absolutely welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, this is it. We've come to the end of Camera Shake Podcast, episode 145. Um, If you like this episode, remember to like and subscribe if you are uh, watching on YouTube. And if you are listening on the audio side of things, uh, particularly if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, just scroll down and um, give us a little five-star rating and leave us a little comment because it really does help us being found um, in the great wide big sea of podcasts out there. Anyway, thank you so much to today's guests and we'll be back next Thursday. Bye.